Standard Issue for all women. Hello there, and welcome to episode 14 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan, and my Baloo from the Jungle Book impression has to be seen to be believed. I'm joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and 140 characters is enough for me. And I'm Jen Offord, and I once thought I'd found a way to pay off the nation's deficit, but in fact there are two more zeros in a billion than I'd bargained for. Oh, shame. Yeah. Later on, I chat to our very own Sarah Millican about her new book, How to Be Champion. As rumours circulate that Oprah Winfrey is considering a presidential run in 2020, Kate McCabe tells us who she thinks would make a great president. There's a sneaky snippet of our Cheltenham gig where Susan Cowman, currently winning hearts and earning bruises on BBC's Saturday Night Smash, talks all things Strictly. And I do Disney's 101 Dalmatians. But first, sleazebags, dangerous goons and a long-awaited referendum, because they always go smashing. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we pour at the news like a queue of men waiting to access a heavily soiled prototype sex robot. Uh, Poor old Samantha. Is that a name? I think it was, yeah. It is now. And it's R.I.P. Hugh Hefner, the rancid, sexist old goat dick. Clearly I'm shedding no tears for the loss of this colossal fucknut, and no woman in her right mind should, because let's get something perfectly straight. Hefner, for all his proclamations of being a liberator of women, and for all the proclamations of his apologist that good old Hef was some sort of free speech and civil rights hero, was no friend to women. He was very much the opposite. For the playboy magnet, women were sex objects to sell to men. He mainstreamed misogyny, claiming it was sexual liberation. He kept women as pets and referred to them as dogs. He was a living embodiment of white male and upper-class privilege, the priapic captain of a rotten fuckboat. And speaking of lecherous old bastards, Donald Trump, President of the United States of America, in case you all forgot, made the news for the wrong reasons again this week, like every week. That's right, another bunch of his Howard Stern shock jock interviews were revealed this week in which he appeared to take a pop at the original and we're quite sure the Daily Mail would say the best people's princess, Diana. In the interview recorded shortly after Diana's death in 1997, DJT has a little joke with Stern about nailing the Queen of Hearts before joking he'd want to send her down the old clap clinic for a little check-up first. If that wasn't reason enough to see Prime Minister Teabag hastily bin the invitation that's been sitting on her mantelpiece for the best part of a year, he didn't stop there. In another interview a few years later, Trump and Stern revisited the subject of the late princess, with Trump decreeing he would, without hesitation, have made the beast with two backs with her. However, despite his compliment that she had supermodel good looks, he added that she had been crazy, but those are minor details. It was a set of revelations that must have left Daily Mail and Express readers deeply conflicted. I wonder where Sarah Vine stands on these particular principles. Over here in Blighty, professional buffoon and mouth-breathing liability Boris Johnson continues to be the Prince Philip of Parliament, charging into the Brexit negotiations with all the grace of a pissed hippo on stilts and reciting colonial-era Kipling in a Myanmar temple. Money really can't buy you class, or sensitivity, or, it seems, a decent haircut. Johnson's impromptu poetry corner was so embarrassing, the UK ambassador had to step in to tell him, one, he was on camera, and two, it wasn't his brightest idea. Just quickly, what do we think Johnson's brightest idea could have been? Anyone? Again on that zip wire. Zip wire gates, pretty good. good. Did, wasn't he in some celebrity football match one time? Didn't and they he take got, a kid 
That was yeah. rugby, and he tackled no, a I kid. think he played football. I think it was and football. He, and, and he basically thought he was playing rugby, because that's uh, what you play at Eton. Poetry-wise, it's not his first crime against rhyme. Really? Uh-huh. He, um, he wrote a poem about Turkish President Erdogan fucking a goat, which the Turkish really? president was not pleased about. It rhymes wankara with thankara. Neither of those are words. words. You would think, when considering who to make... Foreign Secretary, maybe you take that kind of thing into consideration. As you're saying, the Foreign Secretary, and once again, let's pause to consider how the fuck that happened. Keep your enemies closer, Theresa. How's that working out for you? Is making a bid for the Tory leadership that's about as subtle as an erection in speedos. May has held her ground and her head high by, well, pretty much admitting Johnson is unsackable. How's it working out for you, Theresa? The BBC's chief political correspondent, Laura Koonsberg, was reportedly forced to have security staff at the Labour Party conference after she continued to be the receptacle for all the bile and bitter tears of hardcore Corbyn fans who believe she, like, totally hates their guy. That news prompted another outpouring of abuse because it's not like she's in a war zone and she should just shut up because she's biased. In other news, night follows day, carrying a pitchfork, shouting, burn the witch. Results of a YouGov poll published this week found that almost two-thirds of women and over a quarter of men surveyed had been sexually harassed on a night out. Additionally, 79% of the women aged between 18 and 24 who were surveyed said that they'd received inappropriate comments, unwanted touching or groping and a more ambiguous inappropriate behaviour. But the depressing stats just kept giving. 72% also said they'd witnessed someone else being on the receiving end of some sort of sexual harassment, which could include sexual abuse. Janet McKechnie from the charity Drinkware, which commissioned the survey, said that sexual harassment had become part and parcel of a night out for many and called for anyone witnessing sexual harassment to step in, provided it's safe to do so. I'm going to bet my hat that we've all encountered that. Or something like it. Several times, yeah. yeah. I had one mm. this year. Sorry, I went over you there. Um, Sorry, I was just going... With a world weary, yeah. I had one this year at a festival in Barcelona where a man who I walked past yanked my bra strap and quite instinctively I just turned around and pushed the bastard off me quite hard. And then he actually basically went to punch me and because he could not understand what the fuck my problem was. He literally was shouting like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And two of my friends had to form a human wall betwixt him and myself to stop him punching me in the face. At least your mates that you were with kind of did come to your defence and, and form a, a sort of football manoeuvre, which yeah. I quite, it's quite fitting. Yeah. I wrote a piece for Standard Issue last year, just before Christmas, calling for us all to call it out, fuck this shit, after I got groped in a, a bar, the guy put his hand up my shorts in a way that if I hadn't been wearing tights would have been gynecological. And I swung round and had a real go and pushed him. And the people I was out with, who I'm going to call friends in inverted commas, couldn't understand why I was making a fuss. And I was actually asked by one of them, do you not like that kind of attention? Uh, no, fuckwit. No, I don't. No, I don't. UKIP has a new leader and a new logo because it is still a relevant party. Honest, Gov. While the UK is still part of Europe, and given Brexit is definitely happening, we can only assume UKIP now means geographically, we need a political force to fight um, stuff. You know, bad stuff, done by Johnny Foreigner. Henry Bolton took to his new post with vigour and a fresh voice. And by that I mean he already looks like he'll be out before Christmas and is spouting the same old purple tripe about immigration and Islam. The logo is a good old British lion. Rawr. And it's already sparked controversy, given its undeniable similarity to the Premier League badge. 
The big difference is while the Premier League's lion looks proud and hopeful, the UKIP lion looks sad, tired and disappointed. Like Scar when he not only doesn't get to be king, but has also run out of crystal meth. Or like Farage after he's muckied a sock while yelling into a mirror in his back bedroom. Can I ask a question? Yes. Henry Bolton. Sorry. Who? Henry Bolton <laughs> is he? the new UKIP leader. Well, they, they, they're going through him at such a rate of knots, Farage and then Paul Nuttall. There was a woman in charge for a while. They've had another guy. Like, really, they are... I, I would say scraping the bottom of the barrel, but the kind of UKIP is all bottom of the barrel, isn't it? I but, feel like they've gone through the bottom of the barrel and yeah. they're now in Australia. No, no, they're now digging them fresh up from hell. Yeah. Someone should tell the dude with a shop in Harwich. Does he not know? Well, I don't know, but there's a fucking vacancy there in a couple of weeks' time, right? Yeah, yeah. He's obviously very I'm pretty sure, course. eventually, your number's going to come up like it did with the draft. You know, during the war, yeah. that it'd be like, "Hello, Hannah, you are now. It's now your six months <laughs> period for being in charge of UKIP." Like really weird jury duty. Yeah, that, that's only if you're a member, right? That's not us. Uh, no, it? I think it's compulsory. Yeah, it's, it's it, we, it was in the it was in the small print when we voted for Brexit. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but you know. I used we in the uh, will of the people. Sense. Yeah, the will of the people. <laughs> that strong will, that strong yeah. will, fucker. Women in Saudi Arabia will soon be able to drive (laughs) after a frankly ludicrous ban preventing them from getting from A to B in a vehicle they were operating with their very own hands and feet. What now? Was lifted this week. The move was celebrated by some as a huge leap forward. But others branded well, they, it. They can't drive properly. <laughs> They're just shuddering forward. <laughs> well, well, others branded it an international PR stunt designed to distract from a whole host of human rights abuses going on in the country. And to be fair, it's still unclear whether women will need their male guardian's permission to apply for a driving licence in the first place. Oh, so it might well turn out to be a huge achievement in the sense that getting into second gear on the M25 is a huge achievement. I don't think that's ever happened for anyone, ever. No. I can't drive. Get there to Saudi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm off. Ask your dad first. He'd say no. A big high five to our European neighbour, France, which has brought in laws aimed at reducing unrealistic beauty standards. The laws, which were announced back in May but came into force this week, mean fashion magazines must disclose if images have been touched up to make the silhouette narrower or, indeed, bulkier. Also, catwalk models will need a doctor's note to confirm their healthy weight and body shape. Those found breaking the law will face a fine of €75,000. And speaking of good news that shouldn't be necessary but very much is... Women in Ireland may soon be able to choose to terminate a pregnancy in their own country after the announcement of a referendum on the matter next year. While it seems slightly odd to celebrate people being asked to vote on whether women should have autonomy over their own body rather than just having it, if the result is that they get it, then that's all to the good. I can only hope that women will receive the same level of support that the gay and lesbian communities did over the same-sex marriage referendum. No, wait, I mean expect. I expect the same level of support. And finally, all the bloody best to one of our favourite women in comedy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, whose four-sentence announcement that she had breast cancer contained two sentences calling for universal health care. What an excellent human being she is. Agreed. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that part of the week where we peek at what the big wide world thinks of women and find the kind of pink fluffy nonsense that would happen if a Muppet fucked Barbie's wardrobe. Clintons, the card people, have cannily got into women's brains, possibly using the same methods as 1987 film Inner Space. We don't know. 
Keen to share its newfound knowledge, Clintons have designed a card detailing what goes on under our barnets. Tell me more, Jen. Well, Hannah, I will. First and foremost, and I think well, it's one of the larger ones, boys. Just to clarify, it's a picture of a brain yeah. done out in reds, pinks and a, a slash of yellow, divided into sections. Boys is the uh, is the first one we're getting. Boys, anyone? Anyone think about boys? Not really. I think about boys. I do think about boys. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> celebrity knowledge, anyone? Could no, not, could I, have, not give a shit. I have no celebrity knowledge I don't at really, all. I don't really think about it, but sometimes it does via osmosis find its way into my consciousness. I can't help it. You know, it's, uh, give us your best celebrity fact right now. Noel Edmonds is always up to something, isn't he? That's usually good. I don't think the statement Noel Edmonds is always <laughs> up to something, isn't he? Counts as celebrity knowledge. I just I saw that on the cover because of the magazine. It, if it does, if it does count as celebrity knowledge, I'm going to revise my claim that I have no celebrity knowledge. <laughs> well, you do, you do. I've proven you wrong. Song lyrics. Yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, more when I was 12, but I'm not sure this card was designed for adults anyway. How to contour. I don't even know what that means. I sometimes think about it, but mostly because I see someone with it and I think their face looks mucky. Anyway, funny animal videos. They're not in my brain. I do put them through my eyes sometimes. I watch them. I think about the baby sloth video quite a lot. I think my my problem with all of these is that, that of course, they're, they're not primarily the things that I do spend my time thinking about. They're things that take up a tiny part of my brain rather than a huge part of my brain. Is, for example, there a section that says fears about imminent death of parents? No. Um, OK. But there is um, food. Food. Uh, how am I going to pay my bills? No, but I think food, you know, that's your essential, you know, utilities Are women allowed food now? Are we allowed food? Well, look, I think this is its nod to sort of being... I think this is a nod to gender equality. <laughs> yeah, like, food, guys, because you can have a burger if you want to. Don't stick it up afterwards. As long as you do some exercise. <laughs> uh, that exercise isn't on here. Girlfriends. I don't even know what that what? means. You mates think about them. That is true. But I don't think about them as girlfriends because I'm And not also, they're 12. not all girls. No, exactly. No. Uh, boys, though. Boys. Think about boys. No, okay. but we've established that that I is think boys. I think boys means... It's all about poking and rooting. Yeah. I don't think... Any of us think about selfie game very much. Is there a section that says obscure facts about Napoleon that you think you might impress someone really intelligent with sometimes? Boys. 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 And celebrity knowledge. Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Top banter. Top banter. Top top banter. That's another thing. Do we think about top banter? Great comebacks. Anyone? I think best comeback was Jesus, obviously. Very successful, yeah. as it transpired. Uh, but limited run. A very yeah. limited yeah, run. very limited Three days. Run. But what, fucking hell, he did a lot in those three days, didn't he? Did he do anything? Anyway, Tom Hardy. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, 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 the yeah. percentage that on the diagram, in inverted commas, is ridiculous. Tom Hardy's a good 8% of what we're supposed to be thinking about, and he is not going to look after your parents. He's not, is he? In their dotage. No, but you're going to have a lovely time with him. Um, He's married. Can't have a lovely time with him. If he wasn't, in your mind, Ah, you will have a lovely time with him. What you've done there is you've wandered into the unrealistic what if section. (laughs) Okay. Is that, if I'm thinking about what a lovely time I could potentially have with Thierry Henry... Is that an unrealistic? <laughs> Watch yourself. Is that an unrealistic what if? 
Yeah. Um, what, what did you uh, class? I, I think I think it's technically a fun realistic. Hey. And the only thing I'll have right there is unrealistic what ifs. But my unrealistic what ifs are when when I found a bicycle in my front garden and it had been abandoned and it had this Where weird this it had this <laughs> weird box thing attached to it and it had these springs that were multicoloured and they were coming out of it. And I've never seen anything like it. I don't know what it was, apart from a bicycle. And I convinced myself that it was, in fact, a time machine that someone had (laughs) used to travel from the future back. And they thought that's what bikes look like now. So they were trying to blend in. So that's sort of what if. That's like a budget back to the future. What if if I got on that bike and hit the correct speed on that bike, where would I go? That's sort of what if. Where would you go? Where would you go? Um, well, to be honest, I would imagine I'd probably go to Addenbrooke's Hospital because I don't think I could ride a bike at 55 miles <laughs> an hour. Did it not have stabilisers? <laughs> no. OK. Especially with all those wires coming out. And unrealistic what ifs, like, what if I woke up and I had feet for hands and hands for feet? I've never thought yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I do. Think about it now, Jen. Make drinking a cup of tea very difficult. It would be a problem for you, Hannah. Well, no, because I just drink them with my, my feet hands. Comedian Susan Kalman is currently dancing her socks off and her heart out on BBC One Strictly Come Dancing. She was a guest at our September the 18th gig at the Cheltenham Comedy Festival, alongside Ray Earl and Emma Sams, and of course our Sarah Millican. I mean, it would have been rude not to ask her about all things Strictly. This is a cheeky little snippet of the show, which we'll be publishing a little bit later in the month. I'm Emma Sams, and I'm not doing Strictly this year. Calman. <laughs> Calman. <laughs> Come on now. Come My on. My name is Susan Calman, and I have been told to say that I am doing strictly. Yeah. Yeah. Do a little, a little test. Give the cheer if you're going to vote for Susan. Yeah. Give us a cheer if, like me, you're going to see how she does to start. <laughs> And then you find it in your fucking crotch. <laughs> you found glitter in your... Yes. <laughs> so, um, so I've decided uh, if you do the show, you have to do the show. You have to like, you have to say, I'm doing it. I'm not going to mess about. I'm not going to be. I'm going to do it. So, I've had a spray tan, and. I went for... I've got, a, I've got a question about the spray tan. Yeah, go on. Um, have you got any white bits? Or did yes. you do fucking everything? No, uh, they said you can keep your pants on or you can take them off, and I said I'd rather keep them on. So I wear rather large pants. So there's a huge... There's a huge... Did they go up to your tits and down your knees? <laughs> I've worn those ones. They're comfy because I feel sick. Just what I've learned on Strictly is if a woman with enough authority says take your clothes off, you do it. Well, you do it. <laughs> I, 
I did, you know, It Takes Two, you know, the sister show, and I went on to be a guest on there, and I walked past the place where they get spray tanned, and it was yeah. just behind, like, a half a curtain. Yeah. I thought it would be more There's glamorous no no, but there was no somebody, there was some, I have to do the action, which is not very good for a podcast, but there was somebody, and they said, this is how they get them so that they don't have under boobs that are white, and they made her do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that her boobs hung down, and they could get all the nooks and crannies. They didn't um, do that to you? For the people who are listening to the podcast, Sarah did a move that looked like she was going to go in for a, a blowjob, but then changed her mind. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just dissuade them in conversation. Yeah, so I had a spray tan and I had my, at the age of 42, uh, because... So recently or? You, recently, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you're sewn into, they're quite, they're, 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 the wardrobe people are great, but it's a, a very much a leotard situation. You're sewn into a leotard? Uh, sewn into where a is leotard. The, where are the stitches? Are they at the they side sew you up the back and your mic pack. My mic pack is between my arse cheeks. <laughs> Do you when feel you a bit like dancing, you're having a shit? That's where they put, that's where they put your no. mic pack um, so, in your arse cheeks. So, so you can't go to the loo? Um, well. Uh, <laughs> 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 the, yeah, I was taught on the first day how to, to uh, go to the Ow. toilet. Have you never well, been to the toilet it's, before? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, you have to, you have to... Oh, yeah, you gusset have to slide. It's a sliding action. Oh, we've all done that. Do you remember so, bodies? Yeah. Yes. See, I've never done that before because I've always worn sensible clothing where you could freely urinate. <laughs> you know, weirdo. Now, now, I know. A shopping trip must you, with you must be a fun... I know, with my... Uh, yeah, and so I had my uh, first bikini wax. Um, Ooh. For Strictly. Um, I just made a man <laughs> Do you think it was a hairball? It was truly, 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 truly horrific. <laughs> Do they now? I've never. Have you? Give us a cheer if you've had a bikini wax before. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mab has as well. That's nice. Yep. And if you never have? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never have. Yep. I've had an eyebrow wax and that fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine what that feels down there. Well, the thing is, it's more the, the... I went to a lovely lady on the south side of Glasgow. It's very personal, though, It's very isn't personal. It? She does it for the banter. She's a pro. And <laughs> <laughs> so I was... <laughs> so you lie like this. <laughs> like for a smear test? Yes. <laughs> you wax, and then you have to do that. <laughs> You didn't know I had hair. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All the while she's like, oh, what's the what? They're like, what's Brendan? Like, oh, I've had tons of lovely guys, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god. So I'm uh, ready. Tidy. I'm tidy. <laughs> because the wardrobe people suggested both my pants and personal grooming perhaps needed some work. <laughs> no. Oh, it's fair enough. You don't want to, you want to, make, you want to eat your takeaway on a Saturday night and see me in high definition. Mummy, is she wearing hairy pants? <laughs> so talking. So. But you've got to go for it. That's the thing. You've got to go for it. It's a dream come true. I've loved the show for years. I've dreamed of being on the show for years. I've been rehearsing for a week with my boyfriend, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, I 
um, <laughs> I'm no heterosexual. <laughs> that curse of Strictly is really quite fierce. <laughs> to my wife, sorry darling, I'm straight now. The one thing I will say is, it is, I've, I, I, have, I have not avoided men, but I've avoided men for <laughs> most close, physical closeness, because I find them, you're all like, repulsive. <laughs> and I am wedged. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. No. <laughs> In between Kevin Clifton's legs. For eight hours a day. <laughs> like, and he's got good legs as well, he's obviously. He's got lovely legs. <laughs> a bit worried that you might be on the turn. <laughs> so is my mum. <laughs> We've just got used to the fact you're gay, and now you're turning back again. <laughs> All I would say is that uh, Mr Clifton is as nice as he appears on the oh, television. Oh, good. Good, he's I'm glad. He's a glorious choreographer. Our first dance is the Viennese waltz to Mad About the Boy. And I think it's very beautiful. And I hope everybody enjoys it. And judge it if she's all right. (laughs) 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 You were really not happy. Swear God, (laughs) Milliken. Did you think I was going to be loyal? (laughs) No, I'm going to vote the good ones. (laughs) Uh, Which might or might not be you. I imagine it'll be you, though. (laughs) I left the house at 7 o'clock this morning to come down to Cheltenham for you to say you might or might not vote for I don't want you to relax thinking you're going to get vote automatically. I want you to work hard. This is like when they do the little sob story to get your sympathy. (laughs) (laughs) I got up at 6 and I'm trying. I don't think she should be too good to start because they like the journey, don't they? That's a really good point. I think you're all fine there. That's <laughs> 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 true because the people who are good early, then it's like Bake Off as well. If you're good early, it's not looking don't great for yeah, yeah, Build, pay. yeah, build. No, up. Honestly, I think we're all going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything's going to be fine. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Greta Garbo. <laughs> it's quite specific. Did you know that there was already one that existed? <laughs> yes. Um, I used to sit with my uh, gran, gran Calman. Uh, in her flattened knightswood in front of her old gas fire, which turned up right up, because you can never be too hot. <laughs> and... Did that make you think that she might not have much poo again? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not taking it back there. Sorry, carry on. And we used to sit and watch old movies, because my granny loved old movies. My granny wanted to be a film star, and she was a wee woman, a secretary from Knightswood in uh, Glasgow, but she wanted to be a movie star. And I used to sit and watch Greta Garbo and think, I want to be Greta Garbo. And so I've always wanted to be Greta I want to be a, an ingenue. And whenever I'm cast, I'm in a... I'll say it. I'm in a sitcom soon, and my costume is to remove my wedding ring and look awful. <laughs> um, and it's something Carrie Fisher, the wonderful Carrie Fisher, used to talk about, where she was always cast, cast as the brunette best friend who lived next door. Uh, because if, if you're like me, they would always go, I'd go, oh, I, am I the lead role? And they go, no, you're the friend that lives next door who's a bit mad who no one would marry. Aww. And I said to the producer of the sitcom, it's a brilliant sitcom, it's wonderful, and I play a, a, an interesting, lovely part, and I love it. But one day I want to do a part where I'm allowed to wear a wedding ring and be a married person 
as if someone might find me a trap. <laughs> so I've always wanted to play the romantic lead, and I think that's actually why I really love Strictly, because for once I'm the romantic lead. Mm. And I think for people like me, who've never thought of themselves as the romantic lead, I am I'm the girl who gets the boy. And it's, it's something I've always strangely wanted to be that person. So I get to be Greta Garbo and Strictly. Our glorious founder, the one, the only, Sarah Milliken, invited me round to hers to chat about her new book, How to Be Champion, which is out on October the 5th. If you're listening to us the day of release, which is a Wednesday, that means it's tomorrow, Thursday, October the 5th. This is a sneak preview of a longer Sunday Chops interview, which you can listen to on, oh, Sunday. Who'd have thought it with that name? But this Sunday, you can hear the full interview. But for now, and without further ado, here we go. Hello, I'm joined by Sarah Milliken. Hello. And I'm joined by Mickey Noon. Hello. And also, we are both joined by Commander Tuvok, who at any point might start licking his penis and provide a little bit of a backdrop. Is that because I'm here, or does he just do that in general? Do not flatter yourself. <laughs> it is there for me as well. Oh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> You're his mum. This is weird. It's like he, Game of Thrones. He did it once in the middle of the road just to say to Licky's Winky in the middle of the road while there was a great big truck coming and I had to scoop him up like some kind of fucking hero. I bet that there are more men that have attempted that than we realise. <laughs> I think they're out there. I think he just likes to catch the drips. He's done loads of ways and then he's just like, oh, I don't, he doesn't want to just go down his leg, Aww. down his furry trousers. Wasn't it Madonna used to wee on her feet in the shower? For, it's good for athlete's foot. Yeah, it's good for if you've got athlete's foot, but I think if you haven't, it's called water sports. Even if you're not doing sex. <laughs> just a dirty bastard. <laughs> but also, well, just because Madonna does something doesn't mean we all have to do it. That is true. I'm, I'm not adopting anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. Please adopt no. me. Adopt me, Milliken. I don't want to. Okay, fair enough. Well, this interview's going well. Um, <laughs> So, you've written a book. I bloody have. You bloody have, mate. Well done. <laughs> How to be champion. Tell us about it. Um, in the past, when people said to me that they were writing a book, and they told me, they always tell you how many words they've done. And I was used to comically say, oh, are they all different? Because <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Because I didn't realise what it's like to write 80,000 words. And it sort of makes you want to cry. Um, I did, um, it's about, so it's an autobiography. So it's mm-hmm. about moi, because everything I ever do is about more um, but also it has self-help tips so instead of it being kind of linear so it's not like sort of uh, I suppose it's chronological but the subjects are categorised under topics so there's a topic about wearing glasses and a topic about divorce and a topic about body image but it's not uh, and then when I was four and then when I was five and then because I I don't I get a little bit bored and I just skip to when they started work and I don't care what they were like as a kid. You care what I was like as a kid though because I, I, there's a, a chapter about things I was bullied for and I, I thought it would be like a relatively short, punchy, funny chapter. Nope. It's quite long. How many things? Oh, I can't remember now. I should know that. 
Let me get that information for you, and we'll slot that back in. <laughs> I think it was twenty-one when you. I told think it was. Me. I think it was. It was. There was more when we cut it down. <laughs> so it's twenty-one, and then I had to think of, of fun things that happened at school just to make myself feel better, and also potentially the reader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realised that I'm quite practical and quite proactive, and quite uh, I like to help myself. So if if I've got some good tips on if I've been divorced and I've got some tips on how you could get over a heartbreak then I'm going to put those in so that's kind of where we go most chapters have some sort of tips how to be champion tips at the end could you tell us what champion means champion so first of all when I suggested this as a title some people thought I was saying how to be a champion like, like somehow I thought I was and they, those people do not do not know what my self-esteem issues are at all <laughs> clearly they've never met me or indeed seen anything I do <laughs> I think they thought that maybe the cover would be me just kissing my guns with like some medals or something on um, and I had to explain oh no there's no ah it's just how to be champion and the ch- the, I wanted a word that people associated with me and champion does that uh, I asked my this is in the book in the forward but I asked my husband for a suggestion for different titles that could use the word champion and he suggested heavyweight champion and you're still it's a second divorce on the cards <laughs> yeah I mean we're separated but um, <laughs> we're not but you know he knows um, he's on his second strike right okay <laughs> that's what the first one was uh, and uh, so I wanted it to be so champion to me is like if somebody said how are you I'd say I'm champion I'm doing canny everything's fine and it's it sort of means I'm ticking along I'm doing all right mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I'm nailing everything it doesn't mean everything's great it doesn't mean all my plates are spinning but it just means that I'm doing all right I'm managing I suppose is what it means and some people can use it as meaning kind of pretty good but it could also mean I'm all right like all right um so that's kind of what I always aim to be is good enough I suppose yeah. <laughs> not necessarily nailing every aspect of my life because who is but also not criticizing myself for it did the writing process affect the other members of your household and if so how yeah i guess so but not massively i don't mm, i don't think i was more annoying or anything like that i think i was the same amount of annoying (laughs) (laughs) which is still quite annoying but you know not really annoying but i did this thing so if gary had a tour show and i was itching to do a gig if i got the amount of words i had to get done if i got them done by the time he left i was allowed to come along and get in the car with the dog and then do like 10 minutes on stage and then he'd pay me in like uh, he paid me one night in beef goulash which is not a euphemism <laughs> wow uh, <laughs> i'm trying to work out one that, what, that would be a euphemism for and two how much goulash that would be it would definitely be something anal <laughs> my friend was like oh oh so, <laughs> am i just ruined goulash, just ruined goulash forever my friend once he paid for something i said oh, i owe you some money and he demanded that i pay him back in ham that's brilliant yeah I once bought Gary a bag of meat for Valentine's Day <laughs> I didn't know what to get him and I thought what is he like meat so I got a bag and it had like sausages and chops and steaks and yeah loads of things It was, and I don't think I've ever bettered that I don't I think that'll be one of those things if we ever split up where it would be in the divorce sort of paperwork where it would say somewhere that she never really bettered the bag of meat on year four <laughs> <laughs> same mate Miller ordered a box of meat and it was the actions I think of a mad king <laughs> <laughs> a box of meat. <laughs> I've had a bucket of meat. I've never had a box of meat. A bucket of meat. Yes, yeah, KFC love. Calm down. Oh, right. I was like, <laughs> that is horrific. Not like, a, like an actual garden bucket. <laughs> meat buckets. It just sounds rude, doesn't it? It does. It sounds like something that somebody awful would describe a vagina as. I'm sticking with Cave of Wonders. <laughs> cave of Wonders. <laughs> Lady Gash. No. Lady Gash. 
Is she in the, the Smash It Parade? <laughs> she is. She's number one head, artist. Top of the head parade. Why did you decide to write a book now? It's a good question. I've been asked for quite a long time. You know, just by the one person. No, <laughs> just, I do wonder that when people go, "Why don't you come to Cork?" or something like that, and you, and then I think I've had loads of messages. Maybe we should put a Cork to it, and then think, "What? Well, I haven't remembered. What if that was just one person who was really, you know, sort of, yeah, having a go?" Anyway, we've got a date in Cork. Who knows if that one person will turn up or other people? I've been asked for quite a while to write a book, but it didn't really. It never really felt like the right time for another reason. So I didn't know if I had enough to say yet, and also. I didn't really have the time because I knew it was a big chunk of time and, mm-hmm. and my diary's been mad. So because I have a decent gap between tours and because I partly write my tour on the previous tour, I thought there's going to be a bit of a gap. So then I went back to my agent who's been sort of replying politely to publishers for years going, she's not ready, she's not ready, she's not got time, she's not ready. And then she finally got to go, yes! Yeah, so it felt like I had time and that, and also I did like a little test chapter. So the the chapter about wearing glasses, I wrote before we had any meetings or anything because I thought, I just need to see if it's any good, if I can write. And I wrote it and I found it uh, enjoyable because that's the thing, you've got to think, is it going to be fun as well? Is uh-huh. You know, is it... Um, can I do it? Will it be fun? Um, and I thought, oh, maybe I can do it. And also, I really enjoyed writing it. And also, because I've written for years for like standard issue and for other things, just articles. I think I can write stuff that's not stand up. So it was just a, a sort of a matter of believing, believing in myself, I suppose. So it felt like the right time because I've got a good following. I've got quite a lot of fans who ask, when are you going to write a book? And I thought, you know, there's a gap. I feel like I've had a good idea, which was to do an autobiography, but with some practical help in there as well and then we just started talking to publishers and they and then obviously if they go this is a terrible idea you should really be writing a children's book or (laughs) or we thought you were going to do a pop-up book or something like that it would be the sweariest Um, children's book (laughs) (laughs) well maybe that's in the future maybe that's it's more likely than an exercise dvd put it that way (laughs) Uh, so so it, it just it was time and also i guess i felt like i had i had stuff to say yeah I have been lucky enough to have read How to Be Champion already. You are one of my excellent proofreaders. As you're thanked thanked in the acknowledgements as a proofreader. It's lovely and it's warm and it's funny and it's incredibly Sarah, which I think is exactly what people will want from it. But it goes to some pretty dark places. Was Mm. that quite (laughs) shields? Yes, sorry, you were asking a pop question. Was it hard? I mentioned Middlesbrough. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shut up, Millican. Let me ask a question. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Was it hard to revisit those moments from your past? Yeah, but there's something about writing it down uh, as opposed to saying it out loud that's very different. So I could write stuff out knowing that I'll never have to read it aloud. And then I remembered there's an audiobook. And then Radio 4 asked for me to read excerpts for Book of the Week. And I was like, oh, I didn't think this through at all. So it was, some of it was really hard to write and is still hard to read. I even wrote in one of the chapters, this chapter was really hard to write. But I feel like it sort of needed to be said. And just because something is scary doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Usually mm-hmm. the scariest things are the most worthwhile not horror films but you know what I mean life-wise I wanted the book to be brutally honest because I think I know why I buy autobiographies is to get a little bit more than I already know yeah so 
if people want I give so much away on stage <laughs> that we have to go to other places because if I just took like my book of fannies it, that's, they're like well that's the same as the last four DVDs so I need I need I knew I wanted to be brutally honest and I knew I didn't want to mince my words I wanted to treat it as if I was writing to one person at a time like an individual which people don't read in groups generally so that's probably pretty true so people read in groups book clubs yeah but they don't like read bits out like in do they in school I where don't you've, know. you oh I used to hate that when they'd go around and say oh and you'd get we used to do that with Shakespeare and you'd get yeah. it and it'd just be one word and you'd have to try and go murder <laughs> <laughs> oh no we just have to read a whole chunk we'd have oh, to do I, like I don't a, mind the whole chunk it's oh, just no, the one word never one wanted word. to read aloud terrified to read aloud there were things I wanted to talk about that I had not talked about on stage that I felt were worth sharing so yes it was hard but I think ultimately rewarding because I feel like I don't know how to say it I, I sort of feel like they're the, they're potentially the bits that people will identify with it's a sort of, it's the same as so if somebody comes and sees my tour show hopefully they go away just haven't had an hour and a half of bloody good laughing great mm -hmm. but there'll be certain people that'll go away haven't taken an extra thing so for example the last tour uh, outsider people uh, go I'll send mess get messages from people saying oh I had a lovely time go I've not laughed like that in ages I always get a bit annoyed when people say that because I think well surely since the last tour <laughs> <laughs> that's just my arrogance but then there'll be other people who go oh I was bullied at school because there's a big section on self-image and bullying and uh, people get an extra thing and I think that's what will be hopefully this is my plan with the book is that some people will read it and go well that was great I had you know a few nice train journeys and lovely shit with that you know that sort of thing yeah. but then other people might take extra bits out and might there might be chapters that they can go back to and we weren't going to have a contents page and I said we have to have a contents page because I think th this might be helpful to people that they could refer back to it and people might be like I don't need to read that chapter about divorce and then in a couple of years maybe you do oh, God. <laughs> oh, keep it handy on the bookshelf yeah, yeah maybe just fold that page over things aren't going to great <laughs> and then just leave it lying around <laughs> but I think I would hope that people get more of an insight into me which is the plan if I can help people while also making them laugh and having a nice time while they read the book then that gives me a nice warm fuzzy feeling hi everyone it's Kate McCabe friend of standard issue podcast and podcasting partner over at Strong Female Leads. I'm here today interrupting this episode to talk about American politics. Specifically, I want to talk about Oprah Winfrey and the speculation that she might run for political office in 2020. Now, this is all coming out of a New York Post opinion column that she recently shared over on Twitter. She promoted this column from the Post's John Potteritz that called her the Democrats' best hope for 2020. And she replied with, thanks for your vote of confidence. Now, previously, Oprah stated that she would never run for political office. But she's also previously stated that one of the reasons she wouldn't run is due to her lack of experience in political office. Well, with Trump's win, who has no political experience, she's clearly been able to contrast his hubris with her own humility and think, well, apparently nothing fucking matters anyway anymore, so why the hell not? Personally, I can't think of anything better than waking up as an American citizen under President Winfrey, turning on the news in the morning to hear her booming over the radio. America, look under your chairs. You've got free health care, and you've got free health care, and you've got free health care, too. 
But let's be realistic. She's probably not going to run. So I've got some plan B type of suggestions. Plan B candidates in the very likely scenario that we don't get to see President Oprah and Vice President Gayle in office. So speaking of veeps, that's my first choice. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she would be a great nominee. You may have heard the sad news that she was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Well, one of her first messages to the public was to give thanks for the great health care she has as a wealthy person and reiterate the importance of health care being available to all Americans, not just the wealthy. She's one of those J.K. Rowling types, a hugely successful person who doesn't pull the ladder up behind them and also takes big shots publicly at the conservatives in power. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is also a huge environmental activist, which is very important, and has an improv background. So she's trained to have her back on stage and off and is able to work collaboratively. Don't let the fact that once Trump took office, her show Veep became, well, less of a far-fetched farce and more of a documentary. Don't let that bother you. She'd be amazing. Elizabeth Warren is another name I hear bandied about by my liberal chums, and I agree, she'd be fantastic. She's a law professor, a senator, and a debate club nerd. You know, one of those kids who in high school, who instead of going to football games and prom, learned how to research an issue and articulate their viewpoint. You know, virgins. Currently, this nerd is a powerful voice in the Senate for consumer protections, looking to make sure our system works for us and not against us, and that the banks never need bailing out again. She has also historically voted as both a Democrat and Republican, and firmly believes that both sides of the aisle need to cooperate with each other for a functional Washington, D.C. I mean, what a wackadoo, right? <laughs> and last... Certainly not least, I'd like to nominate Megan Amram. Who, I hear you thinking? Megan Amram. She's a comedy writer. She's worked on The Simpsons, Parks and Recreation, and everyone's favorite new series, The Good Place. She also authored a satirical textbook called Science for her. So the STEM industries are important to her. She sounds cool, right? But I'm not just nominating her because I'm a fan of her work. She also regularly displays the highly skilled aptitude in what we as a public apparently value most in our highest office nowadays, garbage posting on Twitter. In fact, every day she tweets out, today was the day that Donald Trump finally became president. And it gets richer and richer because every day he does something worse and worse. So every day she tweets that out. She just keeps dunking on him, which is magnificent. So there you have it. There's my choices for president. A pro-politician, a highly likable artist and activist, and a TV insider who is super good at social media. Take your pick. And in my opinion, the last one seems the least far-fetched. Anyway, here's to a better tomorrow, America and the rest of the world. I'll see you later. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, our weekly golden boot up the arse of the patriarchy as we talk all things women's sport. And what a couple of weeks it's been in women's football. That's right, big things be happening in the Women's Super League, which is the top tier flight in English women's football. 
The Football Association announced last week that it had approved plans for a one-tier full-time structure for the league as of 2018-19. So what that means is that the current Women's Super League teams will have to reapply for their places before November the 10th and new teams and those outside of the top tier will be invited to apply in March. All teams are going to have to run an academy under brand new criteria. So what the changes mean is that between 8 to 14 top tier teams are going to compete and they will consist of professional players for the first time ever. So the players are going to have to have a minimum contract of 16 hours rising to 20. There are requirements, as I said, on the on the teams competing in that top tier, which means they have to have academies for youth development. They have to have minimum financial investments and financial fair play regulations. And you can ask Paris Saint-Germain and Neymar about those uh, those financial fair play regulations. So, in a bid one presumes to protect talent in the national team there's also going to be a cap on foreign players or you know that might just be brexit who knows and speaking of foreign players man city also made the headlines again last week for signing nadia nadim who's a danish international or rather denmark international and she's come over from the american mls team portland thorns that's the second big signing from america that man city have made And, you know, to be making the headlines on all sport, not just women's sport, is quite a big deal. So that's fantastic. Going back to the WSL, all of the changes are a big deal, in fact, and it's aimed at raising standards in the women's game and creating a stronger commercial model, which is in many ways brilliant, I think. Like, in general terms, it's a good thing, or at the very least, it does show a level of interest, um, a level of investment and a level of commitment. For example, West Ham, who were accused of asking their women's team to pay for their own shirts about a year ago, have already said that they've already announced their intention to apply for the new league. So it's going to mean a big shake-up. But you know what they say about money being the root of all evil, and certainly in football, that's something that we talk about quite a lot. At the moment, if you follow the Men's Premier League, if you look at the Women's Super League, there are some surprising names in there. So among your Arsenals and your Chelsea's, there's also Bristol City and Yeovil Town. So that's basically because the current structure, the financial fair play regulations that cap the wages of the women's team means that the top clubs can't just spunk a load of money on the teams and buy success, which in theory shouldn't happen in men's football either. But, well, again, we can talk to Neymar about that. Anyway, so Yeovil Town say that to meet the new criteria, they'll need to raise £350,000, otherwise they're basically going to drop out of the top league. And they've said, you know, it's the changes, they, they fully endorse them, they fully aspire to have a professional team, but they're not from a big club. It's not like their men's team can support that massive investment in the women's team, because they don't have that money in the first place. They're not a Premier League club. So... What it means is they, they may well drop down to the second tier unless they're able to raise that money. So it's hard to tell if it's entirely a good thing or if it is just symbolic of the women's game becoming more like the men's game. And with that in mind, in the national game, England's national team have made the headlines again this week because you know what they say about the Football Association with one hand they give a fan, with the other they're, well they're shit. So they've made the headlines because they have parted company with head coach Mark Sampson who was sacked about two weeks ago. 
This follows allegations made against him of discrimination from some of the team members and he was actually cleared of those by an investigation. He was cleared of any wrongdoing in that respect. But it later transpired that the FA had found evidence of inappropriate behaviour by Sampson in a previous role. So back in 2014, Sampson was investigated over safeguarding allegations, but he was found not to pose a risk in that respect. Nonetheless, the FA, having re-examined this, said that some of the behaviour highlighted in that investigation was inappropriate and as such no longer deemed it appropriate for him to stay on as the England manager. He was actually appointed England manager in 2013, which is before this investigation took place. So you would have thought that, with that in mind, it's an investigation that really ought to have been of greater interest to the football investigation. And the fact that they didn't seem to know about this does seem quite alarming. And it actually does post an interesting question, I think, as with the changes in the WSL, about what is going to happen now with women's football. So it seems that these revelations have come out as interest in the women's league and the women's game grows and the changes to the Super League are being made alongside that kind of heightened level of interest. And what does it mean? You know, Does it mean that it's all going to be about money? Is the interest going to be the same from the media now that the women's teams are more successful and when I say media interest I mean trashing because that obviously happens a lot with the England men's team so I think it's a really really interesting time for the women's game and if you are interested in this I did an interview with Claire Baldwin a couple of weeks ago that you can listen to on whatever channel you are listening to this on Acast, iTunes, whatever it's the Sunday Chops and we talk a lot about women's football and how in many ways the current structure lends itself to the women's game being a sort of force for good that is not really seen as the case in the men's game. She had a lot of really interesting things to say about it, so I recommend you have a listen to that if you have any interest in these changes. That is all for this week. More news next week on women's sport. If you would like to talk to me about any of these things, you can tweet me on at InspireGen and, yeah, let's have a chat. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? Okay, I've got a confession to make. Oh, God. When I started this, I said I was going to watch every single Disney film, except the ones where it's just a load of cartoons strung together because there was a war on. But this week, I tried to watch The Sword in the Stone, Disney's take on the myth of King Arthur, and I got 20 minutes in and I had to stop watching it because it is shit. Not shit in the way that Pocahontas was shit, not racist shit, and not shit in the way Cinderella was shit, not sexist shit. And not even shit in the way that Snow White was shit. You know, funny shit. It's just shit. Boring, boring, boring. I may go back and attempt to watch it again, but I'm not holding out much hope. So if you're out there and you love, love, love The Sword and the Stone, please get in touch and give me a reason to finish watching it. But that reason can't be that it's funny, because from what I've seen, (laughs) it's the sort of funny that can only be described as not funny. What did they get wrong? Bad stone rep. (laughs) It's just terrible. It's the sort of humour that... You know what we were saying about Pinocchio? 
Pinocchio. You know when like yes, they just do God. that, oh, I didn't see that happening in the background. Oh, David Jason. Is that when, Ju- when Jen just shouts, <laughs> Geppetto, open your eyes. Yeah, but it's just not fun. It's terrible. It was really boring. Could we maybe watch the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where Michael Palin is a really disgruntled peasant and he says... I'm not going to listen to you just because you got your instructions from a watery bin. Possibly we could have a crack at watching this when we're all drunk together to see if we can get oh, through it. But at the minute, I have abandoned the Sword of the Stone and I had to watch another film. Okay. Do you think that you missed some sort of like an M. Night Shyamalan type twist? Is Bruce Willis dead in it? Exactly. <laughs> He's actually dead. Possibly. That's why I don't you can't know if you get the, the This is yeah. a tiny tangent, but I don't know if you've gone back and watched all Bruce Willis films and imagined he's dead in all of them. No, but, but I'm is, going to. It's a lovely, fun thing to do. I mean, I don't know what your family Christmases are like, but I can heartily recommend it. <laughs> sort of sad and lonely, but... I can we'll heartily recommend it. Do you want <laughs> we like having mind, a fight. Jen? Okay, so you didn't watch Sword in the Stone. No. What the fuck did you watch? Well... This week, I watched classic dog napping and dog rescuing caper 101 Dalmatians. Ooh, I bloody love Dodie Smith. Adapted from the book by Dodie Smith. Um, it was made in 1961 and was, you may recall, remade as a live-action version in 1996. Did way, they teach dogs to talk? Way before live-action Disney was a thing. It starred Glenn Close as Cruella de Vil. Yes. Horatio Hornblower, yeah. right? No, he Yo wasn't. Gruffith was in it. Was it? Was I, th- it? I think he Oh, no, he, he was in, like, 102... Dalmatians. There was oh, another one. Was in it. Oh, yeah. confused. They always go one too far, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I had seen this one before, uh, the, the cartoon, the one. cartoon one before when I was a kid. Um, I have to say, I was pretty ambivalent about watching it again. Although that's not to say that there wasn't a point in my life where I didn't nag my parents' senses for a Dalmatian. I just don't really remember it. Have you guys seen it? Can I just say about Dalmatians? Yeah. The Apparently they're really idiots. They're like they're idiot dogs. Is that because they're deaf? deaf? Oh my God, I've just been so, really They're not all atheist. deaf. Some of them are deaf. Oh, I think, I think that a... might be like, yeah, maybe Did that's one of Did you meet one the... deaf Dalmatian? <laughs> I've met 101 and they've all been deaf. Wow. Um, I haven't, and I wouldn't know either. They're not they're deaf not, in They're the not film. great to chat to so it's hard to know necessarily maybe you're not trying hard enough Jen. <laughs> maybe I should try harder yeah I have watched it many many years ago I did not watch it again for the purposes of this I'm sorry I did watch it again for the purposes of this podcast and I've got to say the time flew by what a delightful caper it yeah. is there's like shitloads of dogs which I'm on board with there's a talking horse yeah. there's no dodgy accents like in Lady in the Tramp no. they just play it quite straight and there's the most delightful cat yeah. I'm not going to steal your lines but I had an absolutely lovely time yeah. thank you very much well you know what so did I Yay. I really liked it I've got to say now you're alright it's a trouble at home mate <laughs> it's completely <laughs> stupid it is utterly stupid particularly this idea of what London and indeed Suffolk are actually like <laughs> Suffolk in it yeah. yeah London is amazing there's literally three townhouses in London. It it, it uses (laughs) London cliches to a degree that I actually started laughing for huge chunks of it. I don't think there's a single character that doesn't say at some point, someone calls Scotland Yard. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted one of the, what they called? I do that all the time. Hey, 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 yeah. A town crier. I wanted a town crier. That's the kind of London that it's representing. At some point, a character actually says, come on now, ducky, we've got no time to palaver. Which is a glorious mix of regional expressions yeah. held together by bad grammar. Or Can you not enjoy Palaver's not a verb. It's not a verb. To palaver. Ducky. It might be now. Also very much Mansfield, right? Yeah. Well, it's certainly Midlands and Northern Ducky. Yes. Nobody in London says it. Just a tangent, or a tiny tangent, um, on Ducky and sort of terms of affection that are 
widely used. My granddad, or lots of my family, are incredibly scouse. And as my granddad's got older, he's got more scouse and talks faster. So even we're a bit like, oh, we've got Google Translate, what the fuck mm-hmm. are you saying? But he calls me Cocker. Cocker? Cocker? What's that? I love that. It's like it's like it's ducky. Type of spaniel. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's also a type of spaniel. I do always go around in my dog costume. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've confused him. Carry on. Um, but actually, all of this sort of weirdness actually adds to the strange charm it's like of Mary the Poppins. film. I mean, a lot of credit to Dodie Smith because most of its most endearing points actually do come from her book. The fact that Pongo and Perdita think that their owners are in fact their pets. That's a Dodie Smith idea. Awesome. The idea of the twilight bark, the doggy grapevine through which they pass messages I've across the country. I've got to say that I, I still think that dogs communicate yeah. that way. Well, they that... go to the top of a hill and they just woof and when you hear a dog doing that, he is sending an important, important message. Important message to somebody. Do yeah. not drag him away. This is that's a, that's a Dodie Smith idea. I mean, don't get me wrong, Disney did change a lot of stuff in it, but perhaps not as much as it has with other stories that we've covered in this. So the setup is Can I sorry, just a, a little Dodie Smith tangent. She is a beautiful writer and recently when we were away we all had to take two books that none of the others of my friends had read and I picked they went for like Man Booker stuff which was great I had a lovely time and I picked two classics I did Steinbeck's Canary Row because I never read it and Dodie Smith's I Capture the Castle and she is a beautiful writer and she is a very honest writer and she writes about romance it's sort of a romance novel but it's very funny and there is humour as well mm. in 101 Dalmatians but very subtle well the setup, if you haven't seen it is Pongo a male Dalmatian lives with his pet Roger who is a a musician and a bachelor. Pongo decides he's going to set him up with a woman. And he does, which is incredible, given there are whole industries dedicated to doing that in real life. Anyway, they meet Anita. He's like the dog version of Tim. He is, Mm. who also has a Dalmatian, Chi-Ching, her Dita. And they all live happily ever after, except they don't, obviously. But all credit to Disney in this instance, they cut to the chase pretty quickly with that. In some films, two people getting together is the entire film. So, yeah, a round of applause for that. Anyway, Perdita gets knocked up and has a huge it's, number it's of puppies. It's a massive cute meet, isn't it? He basically makes them knock each other into a pond. And then Roger tries to put a wet hat on Anita's meet head. Meet cute, you mean? Cute me. Meet cute? Are they meet called cute. meet cutes? I thought they were called meet cutes. I don't know what you're talking about. That, sounds, what that <laughs> sounds like a meat cute. I would cue for meat. Meat. Cute. Are they not cute meat? I don't know. I Let's think you're it. right. Google this shit, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Padiz gets knocked up. She has a huge number of puppies, 15 puppies. Everybody's really happy, especially Cruella. She's missing a few there. No, uh, mate, mate, like Jenin, and one nearly dies, which is really quite traumatic. Oh, it does. It's, it's quite a drama, yeah. Okay. Then Roger literally tickles it alive. Rubs it, rubs <laughs> it back to life again. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Who's never been tickled back to life? 1960s medicine. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> But particularly happy is Cruella, who is a childhood friend of Anita, which seems pretty unlikely, not least because if her cheekbones are anything to go by, Cruella grew up near Three Mile Island and she's got big triangles coming out of her face. Yeah, I know she's, what she looks like. Well, I would have thought a fair bit older than Anita. Well, exactly, and also, also Anita's, Anita's, like, nice yeah. and Cruella isn't. But. Do you think Anita attached herself to Cruella to stop bullies bigger than Cruella? Well, apparently, in the book, which I haven't read. They just meet her at a party, 
and happened to mention it. Got very exciting hair, though. Yeah. And like all Disney villains, she wears very red lipstick. Well, she, she does have tried a side a bit harder. She could look like Debbie Harry, couldn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Kind exactly. of. I think that's the look she's channeling. She's channeling if Donald Trump and Debbie Harry had a love child <laughs> or sort of a spy oh, child. Oh, I don't know, because she's not quite orange enough for that. In fact, she's pretty much She's really pasty. Yeah. Yeah, she is translucent. I'm anyway. transparent <laughs> in her ways. She sends some henchmen love a henchman mm. to steal the puppies because she's making a cow out of, out of spotted fur and when Scotland Yard are unable to help mummy and daddy dog aided by the twilight bark set out to rescue the litter who are now being held along with a number of other puppies in Hell Hall in Suffolk which Disney seems to think is is like Siberia what Suffolk? yeah <laughs> well mate have you ever been to Oldborough? I have I did a terrible gig in Old Brat, where I yeah. died on my ass. That's the first time I met Jess Foster. Key. Fun story. They call Scotland Yard to tell them that dogs have been stolen. I mean, is that something that Scotland Yard look after? Did they look after it then? Do they look after it now? I, well, it's, it's not a bit specific when then is, to be honest. I think the I Metropolitan think Police potentially would have had bigger fish to fry, but... Yeah, I don't 15 know. Puppies. I don't know. It was the 60s. They probably just would have arrested an Irish guy. Yeah. 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 Also, 15 puppies and their owners can talk. <laughs> I mean, the dogs. Yeah. Magic puppies. Magic yeah. dogs. I'd probably have called, like, Hackney local police station. Yeah. Do you think there's loads of stuff on the, Dis- to... the Disney cutting room floor of just, like, Roger and Anita putting up posters on yeah. trees around the neighbourhood? Do you want a fun fact about yes, this? Yes, Okay, three of the dogs that take part in the Twilight Bark are cameo appearances by dogs from Lady and the Tramp. But they don't have the dodgy accents, right? Well, they don't. Because one of them's Jock. One of them is Jock. Yes. (laughs) One of them is Peg, the one that looks like she's been out on the lash all night. Oh, yeah. She's my Um, favourite. Yeah. (laughs) And and then the big bulldog, the one that... He's in the window. Yes, he is. Yes. Oh, my God, we've watched way too many of these fucking films. <laughs> anyway, Pongo and Padita work together with a cast of local anthropomorphised animals, including, unusually for Disney, a heroic cat. Yes. Yay. The cat actually does all of the work, but yeah. the dog gets all of the credit. Yeah. Cats are cleverer than dogs. It's yeah. true. And the cat is actually taken from Dad's army, from what I can gather. Oh, yeah. I remember him. Sergeant Tibbs. So all right, like... sir. Yeah, I think the reason that he does quite a lot of the graft is I think the dog is very old and deaf. Yeah, he's, he's an idiot dog. Yeah. Anyway, Pongo and Padita, they work together. No, no, he's not a dolmage. Lo and behold, all the puppies are saved and they go home to live with Roger and Anita, causing everyone to constantly spend the rest of their time doing impromptu maths. So that's three plus four over there, six over there, two down there, and that makes 99. And then Roger sings a song about how they're going to live in the countryside on a Dalmatian plantation, which which isn't a thing. It's the best rhyme ever, though. Which isn't a thing. And 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 if it is... It sounds like an illegal puppy farm, but he's written a song about it, so you can't argue with it. We're getting closer to there being 101 of them, presumably. Well, there's well, 99, there's 99 puppies, puppies. Right. And, and the bitch ain't one. one. <laughs> Hit me. Um, sorry, that was a little bit of impromptu Jay-Z for you. The it's been a while since puppies. we've had a grind reference. I know, I'm sort of sad about that, actually. I've been thinking of ways to just shoehorn them in, but there's nothing coming naturally right now. Can I just ask the puppies? Yeah. Have they all been spawned by Pongo and no. Pongo? Fifteen of them, but the other ones are ones that have been picked up from pet shops, pet shops and They've all like been that. bought and paid for is one of the but lines. But she's just nicked these ones. So. She wants to make loads of coats, not right. just one for her. So Cruella has got all of the puppies, right? At yeah. Hell Hall. Which is about four foot deep in snow. 
Also, um, she's a terrible... Right, okay. Do she's you a terrible, terrible driver. driver thing? Yeah, well, no, I haven't got any jokes about being a terrible well, driver. Well, no, but that is the only sexist moment, I think, in the film because Pongo and Perdita share equal oomph for rescuing the puppies. In fact, Perdita's probably a bit more like, I've got to rescue my puppies. And Anita and Roger are equally worried. They get the same amount of screen time and Cruella is obviously the villain and she wants to make money. The one sexist gag is that she is a terrible driver and someone does shout out of one of the other cars, uh, bloody women drivers. doesn't say bloody, it's Disney. I don't know. Bloody think, women drivers. I think, I think women are allowed to be bad drivers. No, that's true, but it's, it's the, the stereotype. isn't it? Yeah, it's because she's bad. an arsehole. She doesn't care. Yeah. Whenever you get evil characters, they never drive well. That is, I, yeah. I agree with all of that. I'm not arguing with that. It's car. the comment from the other car that, oh, it's not... He doesn't go, oh, she looks like she might have stolen some dogs. He goes... Bloody oh, women drivers. Yard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look well, at her using her tits for the steering wheel. Although, to be fair, people shout that sort of stuff all the time now, still. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm defending Disney. Let's move on. <laughs> so, um, What's happened to you I'm, over I'm, the past few months? Maybe the we... real villain is the man in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know I... what? I think we're making Hannah into Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to rush to watch this again anytime soon. But as watching Disney films has gone for me, and oh. bearing in mind what I said about the sword in the stone I liked this my dad who had a sausage dog called Ponky uh, who he grew up on a farm in Somerset and they had like your dad 90 the dog. my dad okay. and subsequently the dog and they had like 90 feral cats with like eight legs or whatever and he he was like oh I want a dog he was a kid obviously at the time he's like these eight legged cats like one shit. of these like <laughs> disgusting manky cats into school swapped it with his man <laughs> for, for a pedigree duck was this before panini stickers <laughs> took the dog home and my gran did like she did not like a dog she was like no, mate, you're taking that back to school. But my grandpa fucking loved him. He's like, I'm going to call him Ponky because I sort of how he looks when he walks with his little funny legs. And my dad will tell me these stories every now and again. He'll be like, oh, yeah, Ponks. Well, there's a lovely photo of your granddad sitting in a wheelbarrow eating a bowl of soup with Ponky's head just sticking out of the neck of his jumper. Is that by Anne Geddes? Is there a baby? <laughs> in uh, yeah, my dad's sort of a dog thief as well in that respect. Oh, There's someone we haven't talked about. The fucking cockney maid. Basically. She's Mrs. Potts. She's Mrs. Potts. She's exactly the same size and shape. You know, that. if you haven't seen either of them, the best way to describe that is how brown owls are quite often these shapes. <laughs> or certainly in my experience, I was in two, two separate brownie groups and both of them had a Mrs. Potts shaped Brown owl. That is exactly what all brown owls look like. That is like. amazing. Yeah. That's I, the if, best if you, thing you've you ever a, said, Hannah. If you are a brown owl and you don't look like that, I'm just saying this is from my personal experience. That's that's what they've looked but like. But also, like you've got no memories. You. Hannah, what score are we giving 101 dollars? I am going to give it four. For what? Four calls to Scotland Yard out of five. That was our show. Thanks very much for listening. Just as a small FYI, this entire podcast, apart from this bit that I'm doing now, was recorded before we heard the news that 59 people had been tragically and entirely preventably killed in Las Vegas and many, many more injured. We are as horrified as the rest of you and can only hope that some time soon... 
people in positions of authority in America do something to tackle and stop more entirely preventable deaths happening in the future. We were also sad to see the death of the remarkable Tom Petty, who has certainly filled many hours of my life with singing along fun. On a more cheerful note, if you are listening to this podcast on Wednesday or Thursday, then you still can come to our October show, which is at the LST Theatre in that London. We have some terrific guests. We have Rebecca Front from The Thick of It or from Grandma's House or indeed from many, many, many other quality comedy programmes of recent years. We've got Scarlett Moffat, who needs no introduction whatsoever. And we have brilliant comedian Evelyn Mock, plus there's Sarah, our glorious founder, Sarah Milliken, and me, if that all swings it for you. I feel under pressure to say something hilariously funny now, and I can tell you, you're only going to be disappointed. If you're listening after October the 5th, then obviously that day has gone, but fret not, because we have loads of other fabulous guests coming up at other shows, both shows in London and shows around the country. Uh, You can find out more by following us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK. You can like us on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Or you can check on Sarah's website, which is www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue, which is where all of our dates and all of our guests are listed. Looking forward to entertaining you next week when we have some great interviews, one with the writer, author and all round good egg, Rael. Oh, my cat just jumped straight through the middle of that recording, but I'm just going to plough on because I'm a hero. And also Jim Turner, who recently won the inaugural Diversity in Media Blogger of the Year Award. And we have done that interview already and she was an absolute treat. Plus there'll be more sports news and more Dunleavy Does Disney and loads of other things besides. Thanks very much for listening and stay frosty. Standard issue for all women.